Hey, Felipe, how you doing? Good, good, good. So, yeah, sounds like we're, we're on now, right? Nice. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Happy Friday. Happy, Happy Friday. Friday. Happy Friday. So you're in New Jersey? Yeah, so Britt and I are dog-sitting in, in New Jersey. Oh, okay, okay, nice, yeah. nice. So this is the uh, the gig, the dog-sitting gig. This uh, is the dog-sitting gig we practice, the practice gig for us. Oh, nice, 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 yeah. I, I can see a lot of floral in the background it's, there. It's it's a really nice aesthetic here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, How you doing? Good, good. Uh, yeah, complain. It's, uh, it's getting chilly, though, right, for May? It was one of those days where I, I woke up getting ready for work. Uh, as I was getting dressed, I went outside assuming that it was going to be a sunny 70 degree day. I um, know. T-shirt, immediately <laughs> freezing. Had the heat on in the morning and on the way home had the AC on. Wow. Yeah, no. It, 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 we've, we've had such a wide range of temperature in a day. Um, you know, like like you need a jacket in the morning and you know you could be a t-shirt in the afternoon but then you'll need a jacket again by nighttime <laughs> you know so it, it, it it's a big swing throughout the day you know it is and i haven't been able to put away the jackets yet i i mean i still need them you know <laughs> same same yeah so, no. um, in june it, it's lit it's memorial day in a week and a half or something, i know right? i know so I mean that that's a fit, people, unofficially people usually, summer, right? You know, people, people are think. usually opening up their pools by now. So beaches open up. I mean, beaches open up. So uh, so so yeah. So thank you for joining me. Um, for those of you listening in the future, today we have Philippe joining us. Philippe is someone that I met. Uh, I would say around like a year ago, right? Or yeah, longer. A little. Longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been with the studio maybe a year and a half now yeah. or so. So, so, yeah. so maybe like a little bit over a year ago. Um, you're someone that as soon as I started to talk with and get to know, immediately I said, all right, this guy um, I can relate to a lot. You're curious. You know a lot about, a di about different things. And um, I could tell you're someone who appreciates good conversation. And I feel like in today's world, uh, good conversation is a lost art. So anytime I could sit down and have good conversation with someone, um, I, I try to do that. So thank you for sure for joining me. Oh, well, you know, uh, thank you for having me and uh, thank you for the compliment <laughs> that, that that's flattering that, but no, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, a good conversation is, is a hard thing to find nowadays. Um, yeah, especially in such a, a polarized world, you know, uh, people seem very closed off a lot of times to even hearing what might, you know, be an alternative uh, facet of an issue, really. So so I want I, I could talk with you about a million things, but I wanted to start with um, your careers, because it seems like you've had a few different uh, careers or you've done different things. And I feel like that'll, uh, give some good insight as to, um, who you are and how you got to where you are today. So you, you've told me in the past that you, you used to own a restaurant. Uh, yeah, well, that was, um, one of the things that I, I guess you could say was one of the careers, uh, throughout my lifetime, but, uh, yeah, I, I had a Korean barbecue restaurant in Manhattan. Um, that was uh, called Sejame, Three Sisters. Um, it ran for, it was open for quite a while, um, had a decent run, um, but it closed uh, in 2008, like a lot of other um, businesses around that recession. Um, it was in the financial district, so we were right there in, in the center of things. Um, it did survive 9-11, <laughs> but, you know, uh, didn't survive 2008. Um, myself, I uh, was born in the Philippines. Um, I moved to Brooklyn uh, at the age of one. So I really did grow up in New York City. Uh, I moved to Staten Island by the age of six. Um, so I pretty much grew up in Staten Island for the formative years of my lifetime. Um, I did attend school in the city, so I was one of those kids on the ferry every morning, cool. commuting to school. Um, 
and I attended college in the city. I went to Baruch College. I mm-hmm. stud- studied accounting. Um, I was also a theater minor as well, which sort of led to some of these other interests in my life that um, I never really thought was a possibility. You know, it was something I did for fun, but, you know, uh, the fact that you could actually earn money in the arts was, um, nah, I didn't really think that was a, a viable uh, way to make a living in New York. And, and I mean, it it is tough. Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, even for the most successful actors in New York, it's a struggle. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, you know, you, you think you've made it to like a Broadway contract, you know, but rent in the city's crazy. Like you're <laughs> barely making it, you know, uh, you still have roommates, you know, it's right. like, uh, so, uh, I mean, and, and you know, it's so anyway, um, college in New York uh, and I was working at a uh, for UPS actually I was working for them through college and I kind of parlayed that into a job after college Um, they sort of put me through this management trainee program and uh, I worked there for about five or six years um, before I started my own uh, employment uh, attempt temp firm, temp agency, um, and UPS was my main client. So I was supplying UPS with a lot of temps. Uh, so that was sort of my first foray into the entrepreneurial world. Um, I also uh, took up a job with another firm at the time, uh, a few years into that, um, and I started working in finance. Um, I was working for Bankers Trust, uh, and they got acquired by Deutsche Bank. Wow. And um, so I've been with them for over 25 years now, probably 26 wow. years. So I'm one of those old timers or one of those rare people who've been with the company for 26 years. Wow. I never thought I would be, but it's still there. I'm still working. So now um, what do you do with them now? Well, so um, I've got a couple things, but right now what I do is um, I manage the bank's relationships with the various exchanges around the world, like the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and there may be like two, 300 of them around the world, you know? So um, me and my team, uh, we manage the bank's relationships with those exchanges when it comes to contracting for services, uh, audits or whatever it might be. So, so so um, did you always have that entrepreneurial bug when you, when you were younger or was that something? I I did. Uh, You know, that, I, that was something I I remember like um, in grade school. um, I, my mother was a, a doctor so i would ask her to steal stuff from like the hospital and bring it home to me right <laughs> and one of the popular things that i would ask her to steal was test tubes right and, and you know like it's just a test tube right you know like you, you put the blood in or whatever you know but to like uh, a third grade kid a test tube is like the coolest thing <laughs> in the world uh, you know it's just a freaking test tube right well anyway i i I, I essentially created a test tube market that didn't even exist. Everybody in third grade wanted a test tube and I had it for <laughs> sale, <laughs> you know, and I'm just selling them. Like nobody ever wanted a test tube before that, you know, but like, I, you know, I, I was able to create this, this need, this desire. That's and amazing. All of a sudden everybody needed a test tube, you know, and I was selling them for like 50 cents each or something like that, which in third grade was a ton of money. A lot of money. <laughs> Especially since I was getting them for free, you know? And my mom's like, what are you doing with all these test tubes? I'm like, I'm selling them at school. She's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, she couldn't even believe like such a thing. Like, you know, <laughs> I am, but whatever. She's like, okay. <laughs> so that, that's so, where you started to, uh, to say, uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I like- well, uh, there's something, you know, like, I guess I, I kind of understood the mechanisms of the market. Yeah, I I had an understanding, and you had I some think, real, you had some I, real skin I, in the game. I I think you know I throughout life I've been able to sort of 
see what the future brings at a very macro level. You know, um, I, I mean, like before the internet was here, you know, I, when it was just in its early stages, I remember myself trying to describe it to my friend, you know, and, and this was like before AOL even, you know, this is like in the mid nineties or something. And, um, Columbia was hosting this uh, seminar talking about uh, this internet. It's going to, you know, what is it? Like, no, like, people didn't even have email at this point. Like, this is how far back it was. And, and we attended this thing. And, you know, he's like, well, what do you think? I go, it's going to change everything. And, 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 and there's going to be so much money to be made in this, you know, but I just don't know exactly how, but, you know, it's just a game changer, you know, uh, and Disrupts other uh, a lot of people through nah, it's gonna be like a fax machine you know like or what like it's like a beeper you know like people's understanding of the technology or what effect it might have you know was I, I mean there were people who thought like me but i don't think it was the majority you know i i think people really couldn't foresee the potential of what this internet could be and and i think you know when we look uh, when archaeologists in the future look back and and study our civilization pre and post internet is going to be like one of the divisions mm. uh, historically you know that changed the world uh, i mean the world was a vastly different place before the internet and, and yeah. it's not just the internet it's like this acceleration of technology i mean the internet was the foundation but the next part was smartphones mm. that put the internet in every single person's hand across the world. I mean, you know, that, and that happened so quickly, like in a matter of a decade, the entire world had cell phones, uh, smartphones, uh, really like that quick. Every, everybody in Africa in every third world country around the world has a smartphone. I mean, they didn't, nobody, they skipped the whole landline. They yep. didn't even have landlines installed in most of these countries. And but everybody's got a cell phone. And and it was amazing how quickly the deployment of that technology happened. And really um, I, I, yeah, so I mean, I think that fundamentally changed society. Absolutely. I you know, it, whether, you know, just putting knowledge or just whatever in the hands of so many people, a way of communicating, a way of transmitting information or misinformation, right. good or bad, it has absolutely changed civilization and society. Any any chance I get, I try to ask people that are, so I, I consider myself a part of the, like the being, being the first digitally native generation. Um, I was born in 1990. But I, I consider people that are like, you know, 10 years to 20 years older than me, ones that really have a good grip of what life was like pre-internet and can still remember it and now understand the internet well enough because um, they're still using it on a daily basis to be able to make a good um, understanding and, and clear difference between the two different lives that that we've lived. And uh, especially in your field, if, if you've been in banking for that long, I'm sure you could really see the difference and what the internet's provided for even that industry. I, I mean, it's two completely different worlds. Uh, I, I mean, it's like one out of a history book and, and the other one right out of like a science fiction dystopian future, right. literally. I, 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 and um, I mean, I think my generation specifically, like the Generation X or whatever it is, uh, had a very unique perspective of technology um, because we were there from its inception and you're right. watching the eight bit become 4k, you know, each step of the way. Um, and you understood. So I, and there were the people who most people didn't understand, but if you're one of the ones who understood it back when it was developing, you have, a perspective that today's gener uh, future generations would never have, yeah. so to speak. You know, um, I, I mean, they never understood a like a DOS based 
operating system. You know, everything has always been icons and windows, but before right. that people, it, it was all text-based. I mean, the only way to communicate and uh, you know, even really before the internet, they had these things called like bulletin boards where you can sort of like hit them up with your modem. It was like, you know, it, you, you would uh, call it like different a number. Like they, a they, almost. Uh, some of it were forums, uh, but some of it were just sort of Craigslist type things, you know, or people selling shit or, you know, or just posting shit. And, um, but it was like everybody, you know, you had to call a specific number to get to it, you know? So it okay. wasn't like one place, but you know, you would just, your modem would beep, 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 beep you know, dial. And it, it was so slow. Graphics didn't exist because the bit rate was so low, but it was text and people were communicating from, you know, faraway lands. Um, even before that, there used to be a thing that I'm not even sure most people know about, uh, like ham radios. So I've, I, uh, I've looked into ham radios a little bit, but I don't know the origins of them. I, I just, I, I, I mean, it, it's basically just a radio that can talk to almost anybody around the world, you know? Okay. So, and it's a two way thing. So you can actually, you know, somebody in Poland can be talking to you, uh, okay. via this radio, um, I mean, it's not the clearest of signals, you know, but uh, it was almost just a way to communicate with strangers that were in this technology, using this technology, you know, just this bandwidth of radio stream uh, that could transmit very far. Um, and it was, you know, for citizens and amateurs to use. I mean, they do set aside bandwidth for public use and, you know, all different types of things. Um, like, you know, they used to have bandwidth assigned for television at one time. Right. And, wow. but that doesn't exist anymore. No. You know, we, they, and I think it's been repurposed for data. That bandwidth is like some 5g bandwidth right now, you know, it's been assigned to that or something like that. Right. So, so, so now how did you, so now you, how did you go from, so you had that little entrepreneurial endeavor with uh, UPS and then. Right. Well, so, yeah. So there's a couple bank. of things that kind of happened too. Um, it, so in college, I was a very involved type of person. Um, and I did a lot of different things and got very involved in a lot of uh, activities. One of the things that I did get involved in uh, was theater. Um, I did a lot of theater in college, actually. It ended up being my minor. Did you ever uh, I, do theater or acting before that? No, no. It actually all started, you know, uh, being like a business major, I had to take a public speaking class. That okay. was like a, a required class. And what I found out taking the public speaking class is that uh, I was pretty good at public speaking. Uh, I Even the teacher was like right, the first day of class, like, oh, my God, you're just like a natural at this. And um, I aced the class, no problem. But um, so... What, they were like, well, if you enjoyed this, some of the other electives that they offer uh, was an introduction to acting was like the first. I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> and, you know, um, I had a great time, you know, in the class. And then I think they were doing a production. So they had auditions and then I got involved with the production. So um, started doing this, the school plays and shows and um took uh, the next acting class, a playwriting class. And then they had this program where you could actually start teaching theater to children and improv. And um, I, I mean, it was just something I enjoyed. Uh, there was a community and uh, it was fun. It was fun. Um, I never really thought of doing any of that professionally or anything like that. Uh, I didn't really give it much thought, but it was something I enjoyed in college. Uh, so, Fast forward to uh, I was working at UPS and I was driving into work one day um, and I was listening to the radio and it was uh, WPLJ radio, which was a popular radio station at the time. And um, they, they said something on the radio. It's like, hey, we're looking for people to do our next commercial. So why don't you call in and leave a message and, you know, maybe we'll, yeah, and I did, you know, it was busy for a long time, but eventually I got through. And nice. when I finally got through, I, I left like a kind of goofy message or whatever it was. And I got a call later in the day and they're like, you know, they talked to me for a bit. They're like, yeah, well, yeah, why don't you come in? We'd like to talk to you. And 
Next thing I know, I'm, you know, uh, sitting with Kevin Meany, who was a very popular comedian at the time. Um, and me and him are doing this commercial for WPLJ Radio. Wow. And they played it everywhere. It got like massive play uh, uh, to the point where like strangers were coming up to be on the street and like, hey, you're wow. on that commercial, you know. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then, you know, it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should try to do some stuff. And um, I just I got some headshots and I started doing some theater and I found it pretty easy to book things. And I, you know, I just started doing a lot of different things in the arts. I started a theater company, a production oh. company, made a bunch of short films that all did really well on the festival circuits. And right. um, yeah, no, so I still kind of, you know, still acting, still kind of producing films, making films. Um, but now that uh, I've got two sons, um, I actually had my older son work his crew in one of the last projects. And uh, I think it was, you know, I'm just really excited that I could share that with him, you yeah. know, or, or, or share that experience with him. So that's, and I think it's, you know, I think it had a huge impact in on him because, uh, you know, there was the cameraman, uh, there was some drone shooting in the film and, and it, it just like blew his mind away. And he's like, I, that's what I want to do. And, <laughs> and, and here he is that like, yeah, he's like this, really good drone pilot right now and That's you know cool. so no it, it really like it was that day <laughs> you know that really he's like wow i, I think i know what i want to do you know <laughs> so now did you have to teach yourself all the different aspects of uh of the business or of that I, 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 I did go through a lot of different classes I, I i took a lot of film making classes because i wanted to learn how to make a film um and I also, you know, just tried to surround myself with a group of people that, you know, knew what they were doing and things like right. that. And, and and it really has been kind of like the same core team that I've been working with for decades, really. Um, so I said that uh, uh, when I was started, it, we really started with theater and I had a theater company. Um, it was an improv group uh, and it was an Asian American improv group called Mellow Yellow. Um we were based out of Dumbo and this was like Dumbo when it was really like an arts capital, you know, uh, before it was gentrified. So this was like uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and we had a space down in Dumbo. Like we could actually afford to rent this. Like that's how cheap it was. Yeah. We could, have, we could rent a studio and have a studio there. Like now you can't even dream. Uh, well, I know, but like, you know, and we were nobody, you know, we were like nobodies who just like, Oh, it's so cheap. Why don't we just rent it? You know? And, uh, and one of the guys was actually like living there. It was totally illegal to live there because they're not residential. They're commercial spaces. I mean, they're warehouses. It's just right. warehouses, right? So you don't even really have a bathroom, you know? Um, and every artist that lived in there had like bathrooms that they could take apart in like five minutes, you know, <laughs> like uh, Jimmy rig showers, you know, that would completely, yeah, landlords coming, oh, got to take everything apart, you know? But uh, it was true bohemian art, you know, it, 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 was, it was like magical almost back then. Um, we were a part of the very first Dumbo Arts Festival. Wow. Um, and, you know, we did performances for a lot of the businesses that opened there, too, you know. So uh, our doors were open for rehearsal. So we'd always have a lot of the community, the artists, the painters, just come in and sit and watch us rehearse and get involved in the improv. So it really was like we would throw our first shows were held in Dumbo. We would so just get like a huge shows. We would just get a huge warehouse space what well, one of the you know artists who had one of the biggest spaces there and we would just hold a show in there and wow. you know it was it was really you know before social media and the, that type of thing so you you know you really had to make like little flyers and hand them out and things like that little postcards that you would hand out and you uh, and people loved it because you know like Dumbo was so 
underground at the time. It's like, like, a very uh, underground. Uh, cool it was, it, it, yeah. I mean, like you had to go through this maze of warehouse space to get, you know, find the space. And, um, you know, it, it was like really undiscovered country back then. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I it, it gives me a glimpse of what like the artists in the East Village in the 80s or Soho in the 70s might have lived like, you know, before it became gentrified and they couldn't afford it anymore. And um, I mean that, you know, Dumbo is not that anymore. Uh, there's no more Dumbo Arts Fair. I think that stopped right. like five years ago or something like that because there's no more artists in Dumbo. They can't afford it. They, they can't afford it. So now mm -hmm. at that time, was uh, was theater the the main focus in that area or was theater? The no, no, no. I mean, it was, of, I, well, I it was. All types of art. It was all types of art. Um, a lot of physical type of media, um, sculptors, painters, that you know, people that required a studio type okay. of space. Uh, and and theater, I mean, uh, what's it? Uh, the Wooster Group had just opened St. Anne's in Dumbo. So, I mean, that was kind of like uh, their sort of baptism for theater into the neighborhood. And I mean, <clears throat> but it still wasn't a place anybody lived in or, you know, it was a place you had to sort of travel to and yeah. it was still scary at night. Um, there were no garbage cans on <laughs> uh, on any of the, like it was just that kind of neighborhood that like nobody walked through. So there even weren't even garbage, garbage cans in no, the corner, you know, like it, it didn't even have that basic sort of city service or whatever you want to call it, you know? Right. Um, that's, so that's I, I, yeah, that, I mean, that's just like an odd detail. You sort of remember about the time, you know, that like uh, there were no garbage then, cans. So you started doing that, and, and regularly like were you, we, we would meet up show, oh, yeah we would do shows every couple of weeks or a couple of months um but we would meet up every week or every few times a week just maybe to hang out or whatever you know just had a space in dumbo um that was a popular hangout really um we called it the clubhouse so but uh it's those same guys are the same guys that I make movies with now. That's so uh, that's, yeah, you know, it's really evolved. Um, where most of us are married with children, you know, so lives change and lifestyles change. Um, so it's much easier to get together to make a movie. Theater takes a lot of time. I was going to say, so did you, so you started with theater and then transitioned into film? Uh, right. I mean, you know, it's just because uh, you can do a project, you know, maybe over a few weeks, few months, and then get back to life or, you know, or so to right. speak, but theater is a much longer commitment and um, well, it's just harder to swing, harder to swing with a I, family. I can, I can imagine. I can imagine even seeing uh my wife Britt do it. I could see how demanding it is, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, especially when you're doing like seven, eight shows a week. Uh, you know, really, like that's tough with a family. You know, yeah. but um, you know, maybe a, a film gig where you just take a couple of days off to shoot a couple of shots is a lot right. easier to, you know, squeeze in the life, the work, or whatever. It's just different, and it pays a lot more too film and television, you know, okay. for less hours kind of thing, or even commercials, ideally. Right. Uh, right. You know, that's, that's like the highest rate of return for your time, you Makes know, you put, putting in the least, it, 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 I mean, it, if, if you, it's good work, if you could get it. You know? yeah. So then how did you transition into the restaurant business? <laughs> well, <laughs> That was really more of a friend uh, from okay. high school. One of my good old friends from high school. Uh, he was in the business and he was looking for partners. Cool. So, I mean, uh, we've been together a long time, done a couple of projects together. So uh, this restaurant, you know, definitely knew that it was a good idea. And I knew he was the guy to pull it through. Um I've always been a fan of Korean barbecue. Uh, Me too. Uh, you know, but there were just, but the only place to get it was like Koreatown. 
or flushing, really. And there were absolutely neighborhoods throughout New York City that weren't serviced. Uh, and um, we were probably, yeah, one of the only ones downtown for a long time because, you know, uh, we were on John Street in the financial district initially. And um, there was just nothing, you know, anywhere near that. Nothing really south of Houston or anything like that, you know, any other Korean. So, right. uh, I, and yeah, I, I think it's still a, you know, Korean food is still a very good product. Um, and I'm surprised that, you know, um, a PF Chang, I know Korean barbecue hasn't popped up yet, but you know, know. it would, it would do very well. It would so probably then, do so, very well. So someone like yourself who you've, had so many different experiences, especially um, like in so many different fields. You, you have to have an insatiable curiosity or a love for learning in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. I hope to never stop learning. So, yeah. So I, I mean, that, that, that is the beauty. That? Of, Where, did you always have that or? Well, you know, um, me, me I, working I, as a teacher, I, I always try to figure out what that is. And this, my students who do the best are the ones who just stay the most curious, ask the most questions, and kind of live in that mindset. So that's why I'm always interested to pick people's brains that are curious like yourself. Well, I, you know, I, I think part of it might be that um, I've always been very good at reading comprehension. Okay. And I know it's like something they would test people on. And to me, I never understood. He just read it. How come you don't get every <laughs> single thing right? Like, like, it just blows my mind. Like, wait, people, it's like an open book test and you're still getting things wrong. <laughs> so reading comprehension was always very easy. In fact, my memory, I have a very, I guess, I can remember a lot of things very easily. Um, and, and it's very easy to build upon because I don't sort of, and you always kind of want to know what's next, what's next. So right. I, I think a lot of people don't even remember the baseline. So it's very <laughs> hard to build on if you don't sort of recall the baseline. Right. And um, I, it, it's a, it's a retention issue, I guess. I, I mean, I absolutely don't remember the passages I read 30 years ago, of course, yeah. but I could hold it for that 10, 15, 30 seconds till the question comes up at least, you know, um, and then I could forget it afterwards, but I guess people can't do it for those 30 seconds even. And that that's a challenge in society. You know, we can't even get people to remember what they just read. I, I mean, that, that always just blew my mind. I'm, I'm noticing um, that issue more now than ever. Even I've only been working as a teacher for, I think this is my sixth or seventh year. I, I forget sometimes, but I've noticed the difference in the high school age students ability to be able to just look at me and look at me for the entirety of my sentence that I'm speaking uh, compared to then and now they, they, can't even, they, they struggle to just even keep eye contact or remember anything that I said a moment before. And that's it, even it, 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 the the world has been changing at an incredible pace. Yeah. I, I mean, faster than society or civilization is, is ready to adapt to. I agree. Um, we weren't ready to adapt to social media. It's still messing us up. Um, smartphones still messing us up. The internet still messing us up. I, I mean, it's like these Pandora boxes have just been open nonstop and we just have no idea what to do with it. It's just opened and AI is the latest Pandora's box that we've just opened. And there's no way we'll ever get that no. back into the box. So what we're seeing is like an unprecedented acceleration of societal change unseen in prior generations you know um and, and the world that these children grow up in is so different 
than the world we grew up in. I, I mean, the very idea that the world is coming to an end has haunted these kids almost their entire life. Right. Uh, you know? um, I mean, if it's not climate change, which is kind of like the slow smoking killer that'll get us eventually, they're, they're just something else more immediate, you know, whether right. World War Three, Civil War, aliens, AI. I mean, there's just so much going on right now. That's moving, um, moving so fast. And you're and, right. And, moving so and, fast. And these kids, I mean, you know, there was an article, I think, uh, a few days ago from the New York Times about why kids are just like blowing off school. And, and it's just like, well, what does it matter? And how can you blame them? How can you almost, how can you blame some? Like, it probably doesn't. You know, like right. if you really had to step back and, you know, think about it, it probably doesn't matter as much as you probably think it does, you know, right. as much as we like to think it does or, you know, whatever it is. And nobody wants to look up. Right. Hard to admit that. Just keep looking. The, the little kids will look up it's like why? And we're just like, no, just keep looking down. Don't look up. You know. It is, and, and that's and that's a good way to put it, because I was thinking about this the other day. I think that kids and teenagers especially have an, have a unique ability to point out the truth or recognize the truth and not saying that adults can't. But I think that as we get older, we're, we become more aware of the truth. And a lot of people, as we become more aware of the truth, like you said, we start to like look down because we're afraid to to look at it. But there are those raw, fresh teenagers who are looking up because they're questioning authority they're wondering why they're here they're trying to make sense of themselves they don't have as many responsibilities as us so they have a little bit more free brain space to maybe question this these things and um, there's a clear difference and i'm noticing that and that actually makes me happy to be surrounded by teenagers because it keeps me in that in that state of mind and it allows me to always question and wonder but I think that's why many adults, like you said, look down. Yeah, no, and it's a scary place. It's a scary place, and you know, it's it, it's almost if you play out all the scenarios, right? And let's just assume we are doomed. Okay, right. let, let let's assume that is the end game. I mean. And I'm sure, like world leaders and you know people in power, have probably played this out play these scenarios yeah, out like you know like so okay we're doomed okay what do we do do we tell everybody <laughs> of no. course not yeah of course not right like i mean what's gonna happen if you tell everybody you know that it doesn't even have to be short term we have five years left we you know we got seven years left what do you think's gonna happen Chaos. Uh, yeah. No toilet paper for the next <laughs> seven years. Guaranteed. You know. A hundred percent. And if you played out every single scenario, really, what is the best case scenario? To just keep living life the way you have. Yes. And maybe you have seven years of normalcy before it's all over, you know, I, right? Like, you know, I mean, that's really the best you can hope for, you know? Right, it is. It's right true. up until the end, you know. Just, what you wanted to do, just like you would any normal just, day. Just any other normal day, right, you know? And, and hopefully you appreciate those normal days each day a little bit more than the last, you know? But um, that's I'm really... I'm noticing kids are the kids are kids, the, at least the teenagers that I talk with. They, they of course get caught up in their typical teenage drama, uh, you know, like the, the short term emotional things, but a lot of them have a deeper understanding of the world than I ever did at that age. And I think because they are exposed to a lot of information on the internet, on the internet and social media that, um, you know, might be clips of a conversation like this that just get them thinking and maybe open up their mind a little bit or uh, that in ways that I didn't have access to when I was their age, because 
when I was their age, I, I really only used the internet for AOL instant messenger, um, which was cool, but it wasn't the same kind of internet that we have now bombarded with marketing and all that. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I mean, you know, even as a kid growing up with very limited media, uh, you know, we only had like four channels on television. You know, there was only three networks and you saw it was the same shows. And I don't think in my whole life I ever saw an entire series of a show or what, you know, like yeah. every episode. But like it's something my kid could do in a weekend. Yep. You know, oh, yeah, I saw every at Gilligan's Island. I never saw every Gilligan's <laughs> Island, but like they did it like over a weekend, you know, in a weekend. And um, and then I remember like hearing some stat maybe like over a decade ago that like if you took all the television that's ever been created, like, you know, from the beginning of television up until 2000 and. Um, that's what gets uploaded every hour to youtube that amount like you can't even compare yeah like yeah you know so like the amount of information at their fingertips that they have my, my brain can't, can't even make sense of that when i'm trying to think about where that goes in even five ten years uh, right right i mean you know it's even worse right now i, I you know you can find a video, you can find dozens of videos on any obscure topic, you know, and, and, and it just keep going down a rabbit hole. You know, I mean, it's a very, very different world than what we grew up with. Right. Yeah, so even when I was, uh, you know, in, in high school, I, I always thought that I needed to access the best information. And I still think that's, that's really important today to know, um, you know, where the best information is. And I fell in love with the internet. I, at 15 years old, I was asking Jeeves every single question. That, <laughs> um, like until I literally couldn't stay up anymore at night. So I, I definitely use the internet to my advantage, especially before it became riddled with advertisements and just, uh, algorithms trying to throw everything in your face so um, I, I had a great learning experience with the internet and I was able to discern what was credible or what was useful much easier than I think people can today. I even noticed myself who's who's aware of that and is saying that when I use the internet now, it's almost like I want I want to go on Safari or on Chrome like this just to stay away from all that stuff because there's so much coming at you that it's it's harder to actually use the inf the internet for what you want to yeah. the, the way most people use the internet right now is really through apps yeah that's it that, nobody even logs into a browser Barely. Uh, anymore I, I mean you get your news from apple google or reddit really um and that's it right um and, and it, it, it's all through apps now they've curated Everything's been curated for you, which, which but, is ter which is terrifying to me. Which uh, I, it's, it's good in some cases, but like someone like myself, I don't have the same YouTube experience that I once did. I used to, I used to just control the rabbit hole that I went down in YouTube. Now, uh, and I would just search it, and now it's it's not like that anymore. Uh, for everything, Netflix yeah. or you know, um, Reddit or uh, yeah. There's some AI controlling uh, what you see to maximize your engagement and maximize profits. And we're at the whim of corporations right now. And they've got all of us. They've got all of us staring into our phones all day. Yeah. It's, an, it's an amazing, incredible, like, you know, if you look at old pictures from like the 50s, uh, you know, like on a train, a subway or something, you can look at that picture and you're going to see almost every single person on that train is smoking. Yes. Yeah. And, and they're smoking in a train in an enclosed space. And we look at that and we're like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> I wonder 
if somebody's going to look at us like 30, 40 years now and they look at a picture and we're all staring at our phones and they're like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> I I think that I do. I, I mean, agree. you know, at some point they have to. Right. You know, it, it's such a, a rapid change in society that like, you know, you, you look at a picture from one decade where everybody's walking and talking to everybody and within a span of 10 years everybody's staring into a phone and nobody is uh, it, it happens so quickly and and not enough people are talking about it um even though it seems like some people do talk about it i've heard people talk about reducing their screen time but because we're so pressured i think societally to be involved and to want to relate to people and stay in touch and just have a feeling like, like we're a part of, of everything that's going on. It's hard to just manage when you're going to use it, when you're not and not allowing it to use you. And you need to have a lot of self-awareness to not let it use you. And uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, with this YOLO, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that fear of missing out, uh, once you're like disconnected, uh, uh, I'm missing out on like the entire internet right now. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's like, and, and I think, especially today, um, there's a much greater emphasis on your virtual self than your actual self. Which is um, really the, uh, right, right. I think there's much more social credit applied towards your virtual life. It's really, I mean, you know, kids are judging other kids based on their Instagram feeds, right? You know, and it's like that probably supersedes what you know your actual real life is the reality and because it's a curated flow right like anything i mean there are a lot of sort of interesting instances with this sort of next generation that i you know like uh, that sort of define exactly what i'm talking about i remember like there was a time um it was like a movie festival or um a film festival and i ran into one of my friends there an actor and uh he was like a uh, the one that's on Dexter, right? And, oh, cool. um, yeah, yeah. And, and there was like one of the younger kids from my crew uh, was there. And he's like, hey, is that the guy from Dexter? And he was like all excited, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to meet him? It's like, sure, sure, sure. And then like, you know, it's like, can I take a selfie? Can I yeah, yeah, take a selfie? <laughs> and then I'm like, we're going out for drinks. Why don't you come join us for drinks? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. The selfie was all he needed. Wow. And he didn't actually care about developing a relationship with this person. A relationship. Or hanging out. Like, I would think going out for a drink is a much yeah. better experience than the selfie. You know, like, like, I'm giving you, like, something you could tell your grandkids about, you know? But, like, a selfie is just, you know, it's whatever. It, it captures right. enough for the social world. And that's all I really came for. And, you know, that's and I was like, I think that's a fundamental difference in generation almost, you know, that sort of like what we're, we want out of things or what we're trying to achieve out of people, relationships, and, and society. The and the difference in what we value and, and what's important. Yeah. And I thought that was so telling really. That's eye -opening, you know? For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting, and um, in a, in a in a more positive light, with how we're dealing with this and how kids are dealing with this, as they're being bombarded with all this information, all this overstimulation, they're also being given different ways to manage it, self regulate, make sense of, process, um, and yoga is is one of those. I'm seeing yoga brought into the public schools. Larissa is someone who does that. Um, I even notice I have kids that I coach at jujitsu who found out that I teach yoga and they start sharing the yoga poses that they learn in school with me. So yoga is becoming much more mainstream 
And uh, I'm sure, as you know, yoga is a great way to um, get a healthy mind and body. So when did you start doing yoga? And um, what's your experience been like with yoga since you started? I mean, um, I've been doing yoga for a few years. Uh, Before I was uh, at B Yoga, um, I did practice at another studio in Brooklyn for a while. Um, And I would go several times a week. uh, And I enjoyed it. I mean, I always was looking for a form of exercise um, that... I'm a big fan of, um, I guess, the more Eastern forms of exercise because there's a greater emphasis on flexibility mm-hmm. uh, that you don't really get uh, with the Western styles, so to speak. Um, it, it, I mean, I studied martial arts as a kid as well. And, and you know, flexibility was always a very important part of it, you know, um, but playing sports like football nobody cares if you're flexible you know right. that was like the last thing they cared about you know um but it, you know, yoga you know um it's a fundamental you know these flexibility is just like a fundamental and i think in terms of just practical everyday things flexibility is much more important than uh, bicep strength or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, uh, unless I'm doing chin-ups, I, I really don't need those biceps for anything else, you know. Um, it's rare that I'm ever curling anything or, you know, but, you know, reaching for something that's all the time and bending <laughs> over and, you know, just navigating the space of this world, right? Yeah. So there's, there's absolutely a, a pragmatic reason for um an eastern form of health um and yoga is i mean i i like the fact that it has this sort of mental aspect to it as well that um a way to sort of meditate yeah for the practice uh, you know i mean concentrating on your breath for an hour is meditation it, yes. it, it it really is um and I, I i mean one part of the uh flow that i really you know can sort of notice what's improved vastly for me is like after we do the uh the wheels you know and, and we go into the soup the body kanasana yeah and um you know even if my heart is racing, you know, after that, the fact that I can keep my breath mm. slow and sustained during that rapid heart thing is like, you know, yeah, I couldn't do that before, you know, it, it would be, yeah, it's so easy to just like lose your breath if your heart is out of control, but to be able to sort of maintain your breath while your heart is, I was like, wow, wow. You know, like I really think about, can think about how many times in our, in our lives, in, in all different aspects that we might have that heart racing. And Absolutely. Have- right. Right. And not just for yoga, just everyday stress, right. Uh, I, the meeting, the report, you know, the mm. deadline and your heart starts racing, but to still sort of keep a calm breath is so soothing mm. and you can actually start feeling your heartbeat slow down. I, I mean, just, you know, it's incredible. That's that's an incredible tool. It, it is. It, 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 I mean, that's I. You know, that's kind of like one of the, like I said, one of the biggest things I've noticed from my practice is my ability to let my breathing help control my body. You know, like calm me down, and even in the most stressful or, you know, trying time yeah 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 i i know i when larissa asked me why i wanted to teach yoga after i graduated it it, i don't know why it threw me off but i guess no one ever asked me why i wanted to teach and it really made me think why i started doing yoga and similarly i started doing yoga because 
I, I just wanted to do something that would help out my martial arts. And that was just to make me more flexible, more mobile, avoid injury. Um, and then after doing it for maybe two or three years, I realized that I had some moments of inconsistency. And then I realized that I was happier when I was doing yoga consistently compared to when I was doing it inconsistently. And I started to get more consistent. And then as the years passed, um, I started to make that connection between a, a mobile, flexible, and open body helps support an open and flexible, open mind. And when my body is all tight and bothered and injured, usually that makes it more difficult for me to have uh, an open and relaxed and patient mind. Um, so, so now my reasons for doing yoga are completely different. Of course, I still love the injury prevention and, and the mobility and flexibility aspect. But now when I take a yoga class, it's much more of like a life mirror experience to see how I'm showing up mentally. Um, it's a good opportunity, like you said, for me to see that I'm able to lower my heart rate and reduce my stress through breath because, um, so often we're unaware of how we're breathing. So, so many different, for so many different reasons, yoga has benefited my life. And I'm still shocked today that it's still not done by almost everyone in some way, shape or form. I myself am a huge proponent, you know, and try to tell everybody to sign up and do yeah. yoga. It, it's life changing, you know. Um, but I, I mean, doing anything is a commitment, you know, yeah. it, it, it's difficult. I mean, we have such busy lives with yeah. so many balls up in the air. Um, a lot of times prioritizing yourself isn't one of them, you know, um, sure. and this, this, and doing yoga would be prioritizing yourself. You, you, know? you always being a busy person. Did you battle with that needing to prioritize yourself? Uh, I, I've, I've realized that too. And I've realized that if I don't prioritize myself, then I can't be of service to anyone else. And yeah, no, no, I, I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in doing things for others, especially, you know, when you're a family man and you're doing it for the kids and, you know, it's, uh, but if it, it, it's like teaching yoga, right? If you're there practicing at the same time that you're instructing it's very hard to see what they're doing or to help modify them or assist them because you're busy doing it yourself up front right right so you know you need to sort of be able to separate it and and um i think that's you know challenging it's very yeah. challenging you know one of my goals is to try to break it down and make it as accessible to people that are typically averse to it. So anyone that's averse to it, I'm I'm going to try to make them my my target and uh, in the most loving way possible. Yeah, I mean, I, or even like a chair yoga sequence or something. You know, I, I, I yeah, uh, I, I don't want to kid them. It's tough. It's not easy, you know. Yeah. I mean, that class will kick your butt, you know. <laughs> so, I, uh, I mean, you really have to. I, I think if if you're open to it, you know, you you need to be open, and, and I think, yeah, you know, we're. It's gotten so easy to just not do anything in this world, right? Um, I think. That's probably a a huge problem we have in this country yeah. that it's very easy to not do anything. Um, it's to ever leave your couch, right? Like you can sit on that couch, stare at that phone all day. Yeah, you know, you can even have the food brought right to you at your couch. You know, like, yeah. Uh, and um, so I, it's it's so you're right to make yourself or to make your yourself and your health a priority is is a different kind of ask with the temptation that's out there today uh, right i mean you know well you're uh, i think the hardest part of it 
is actually making the decision to go. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's so easy. There's a, a million reasons why not to. Oh, it started raining. Oh, oh my foot's hurting. Uh, you know, the, there can be a million reasons why you don't want to go. Um, and you can use that as an example for life, right? right. You know, I, I mean, you can make a million reasons why you don't want to work on that project or go right. for that promotion. And, you know, just like anything else. Right. And um, once you sort of figure out how to overcome these challenges you have with facing, um, you know, you figure out, okay, no, I'll go, I'll go. It's raining. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it'll just be me and him today. You know, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. No. Do you have a do you have a favorite pose or a part of the sequence? Um. Well, I I mean I I I don't know who doesn't like resting pose at the end of us. <laughs> you know that that that's always enjoyable. But uh, I'm really starting to enjoy um, forearm stand. Is that prana? Yeah. Is that what they call it? Prana. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no. You know, I've been able to catch it for a couple seconds every now and then. Nice. And, That's know, good. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it, it'll be nice if I could start playing with the feet, you know, a little bit, maybe scorpion or something like that. You know, but, I've seen I've seen your practice grow so much, especially since you joined B. So it's been awesome to watch you um, take your practice seriously to the point where you're advancing, but also you're being playful and you're not being too hard on yourself. So I could even see how you've treated yourself better uh, by just growing as, as a yogi and, and in your own, in your own way. So that's been awesome for me to see. Um, and, and that's what I love about teaching yoga and just teaching in general, whether it's jujitsu or um, ELA in school. Uh, so that, that's why yoga for me is a great vehicle for my own growth. And also um, when I'm trying to, I guess, help others on their own path or health journey as well. Uh, and I think, you know, um, it's a community, really. Uh, you know, it, that's it, been something it, I've learned over the last year that I always took for granted because I never realized that. It, it is. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think there was like, um, a time that I was, you know, getting ready to go out or something. And I was um, looking at myself in the mirror, or, you know, uh, and um, I was like looking at the improvements to my body that, you know, uh, from practicing yoga on a much more regular basis, you know, um, ha has shown. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, like looking good there, you know. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, I think like the day before I had gotten like um, – acupuncture um from jen smith you know at the studio and um loren had cut my hair not too long ago and That's i'm awesome. like wow like <laughs> they're really like you know i am affected by the studio like you know <laughs> in so many different ways you know like physically like you know mentally uh, health lot, you know and i'm like wow it really does have like you know it's impacted me in so many different ways is, That's you know, awesome. really what I was like noticing more than anything. Yeah. When, uh, That's but really yeah, cool. it, it is a community. It really is, you know? Yeah. And for me, ever since COVID, I, I, I think after COVID is what made me realize how important communities are. Cause I even found myself going on to places like Reddit or Twitter just to connect with people that were talking about things that I wanted to talk about oh, I, I, that's when i discovered reddit too was yeah. really you know uh during that and yeah no reddit is actually pretty amazing i think you know uh yeah. it, it, it's it reminds me a lot of aol you know because of of the anonymity factor right for yeah. one the and that anonymity is a different internet it is then, then like when Facebook sort of held you accountable for your words and actions, right? You know, or, you know, the, but AOL, you were just, you know, <laughs> Green Goblin 32, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. 
Philippe, I, uh, I, I appreciate you spending this time with me. Um, I, I feel like I could do a million of these with you as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Thanks for. No, no, no. Thank you. That was great. Uh, you know, always enjoy a good conversation. Um, do, you, do you have anywhere that um, people can get in touch with you if they're ever interested in chatting or anything like that? Um, no, not really. <laughs> good. Yeah, good. All right, good. Let, have... let, reach out to you and, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If, if anyone's interested in getting in contact with Philippe, I will, uh, I'll be the middleman. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Philippe. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Friday.